Deion Sanders calls out the NFL teams that didn't come to the HBCU Pro Day in Mississippi by name. Hmm, I wouldn't have done it. Morehouse strips the interim title off of Douglas Whitler, and we have, of course, our feature Friday because you know what today is. Oh, yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On HBCU Podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked On Podcast Network your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked On HBCU your first listen of the day every day. And I personally am not a fan of Deion Sanders calling out the NFL teams by name because I feel like it should have been kept in-house. I feel like that conversation that he had should have been a conversation between him, the players at the pro day, and then also the players who are still a part of Jackson State and will be going forward. But I really want to know, what's on your brain? What are you thinking about this? Are you with Dion calling him out? Do you feel like Coach Prime maybe should have just left this one alone? I want to know how you're feeling. You see the, the at right there, at South Exclusives. For those who are not watching on YouTube, you're listening. I appreciate all of y'all Listen, Audio listeners, video watchers, I love you all. I promise you I do. But go to South Exclusives on Twitter and let me know. What's on your brain? Should Deion Sanders have called them out? Where do you stand on this topic? I'm about to tell you where I personally stand. Now, when I heard Deion say, yeah, I'm going to call these teams out that weren't there, I thought nothing of it. I thought absolutely nothing of it. I, honestly, I paid it no mind. I didn't think he was serious. I just moved on about my day, and then I'm scrolling through Twitter. And I see a video of him listing off the eight teams that were not there. 24 out of 32 showed up to the pro day. Eight didn't. And he's listing off the teams. And I'll tell you my first thought. At least the Saints ain't on that list. I, <laughs> that was my first thought. My second thought was, why? Why? What? Why? Um, I just, I just don't. Listen, I want to start it off with this little precursor. Me and Dion are two completely different people. Not saying in the way we act or anything, but we are com two completely different individuals. Emphasis on individuals. So what he does and what I do, this is more so a preference of I would not have done it, you know. And I and I get it. At the end of the day, I get it 100% why he does it. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But I want to tell you more about the video because in that video, he he's saying, I better not see y'all at the Mississippi State, the old Miss Pro Day. And he's saying one day y'all are going to have to come to Jackson State, and we're going to remember that. And I want to say, listen, I, I hope that one day Jackson State becomes a program, and really any HBCU. But Deion Sanders had made this specifically about Jackson State, maybe Jackson State, Alcorn, and Mississippi Valley State because they were all there participating. But we know this is mostly about Jackson State because he's the head coach of Jackson State. I hope Jackson State gets to that to the level where – you can't miss a JSU Pro Day any year. You have to keep showing up. I hope that it gets there. Right now, it isn't. It isn't there. And I think that's one of the things that 
we need to be honest with ourselves about. And we can talk about changing perceptives and perceptions and, and, and changing how or what narratives are put out there. But we do also have to be realistic and say, hey, we want the talent to come to the HBCUs. We want the players to be found at the HBCUs. But right now, you're not going to have 32 teams every single year come to the pro day. And I don't think that's a bad thing. That doesn't mean there aren't good players there. Oh, my gosh. There are a, a, a bunch of good players. You have Felix Harper, James Houston, um, Al Young, CJ Holmes. There's players out there that are good players. And I don't think that 24, you had two-thirds of the team, or excuse me, three-fourths of the NFL coming out to the pro day. This does not mean these eight teams doesn't mean that there's not good players out there at Jackson State. That is so far from the truth. All, all 32 teams aren't at every at every pro day. But I get what Deion's saying because I think he's extremely well-intentioned in a way it's commendable. In a way, what he's doing is commendable because what he's doing, he's fighting for Jackson State and he's fighting for HBCUs. See, he's always spoke about separatism. It's not something that he wants. And yes, he's fighting for JSU, but I believe that he's fighting for Jackson State in a sense that if Jackson State breaks through, they can bring everybody along with them. And I do believe that there's some, some credence to that. I think that Jackson State getting coverage on NFL Network for their Mississippi HBCU Pro Day, and I keep calling it that because it wasn't just Jackson State, and I don't want to exclude Alcorn or Mississippi Valley State. But I think them getting coverage of NFL Network, likely because Deion Sanders is a former, empl former employee. He is a all-time great in the sport. That could lead to more coverage for other pro days. I think that their spring practice or spring game being the first one that's televised could lead to more spring games being televised. So I do think that can happen. I think he's fighting and I think it's noble and I commend it. I just wouldn't have done it because I don't, I don't know if it'll be effective. And I think that's the reason I wouldn't have done it because essentially what I think you're trying to do is you're trying to shame those teams to coming. By calling them out, I, I feel like, in my mind, that they're trying to shame or he's trying to shame the eight teams. I can't remember the eight teams off the top of my head. I remember a couple, but I keep trying to think of the other, I think, about six that I can't remember. But if I got to shame you to come, if next year they're coming because you're shaming them, I don't know if they come just because you listed their name. They're probably coming because there's a good player. But let's say they did come because... Deion Sanders shamed them into coming. I don't want them there anyway. It's disingenuous. They're probably not there to really scope out talent. There's can't miss prospects, but if there isn't one at that school, every school does not have a can't miss prospect. I think there's a lot of good guys out there. But if you have a prospect that hypothetically right now, I don't know if there's going to be a Jackson State, Alcorn, uh, Mississippi Valley State player that goes in the top four rounds. I don't know. If you don't have one of those players, they could just be showing up and like, okay, we're going. Don't want us to call, don't want to be called out again. No, I want people who really want to be there, who really are trying to search for the talent, who really are going to give my guys a fair shot or a fair glance, of a fair look. Because when you're looking at it, it could just, the same way thing can go in one ear and out the other. All right, boom. I didn't remember anything there because I wasn't really worried about it. I don't want those kind of guys. There. It's disingenuous to me. I don't think it does anything for me. And honestly, it just wastes my time. I want people there who are actually going to try to look at my players. This is what I personally would have done. 
I would have taken those eight teams that weren't there. I would have went to the players that were at the comp at the uh, at the pro day, and I would have said, "These eight teams don't think you're good enough to get a look. They don't go out there and show them why they should have been here." I would have went to my players that are going to be on my team in the following year, two, three years, and I would have said, "You see how these people aren't here? We're going to make sure that they're there next year." These are the things that I would have said. I would have made sure, and I'm sure he's doing those as well. Except I just wouldn't have done the extra of going out. That's the only difference is I would have kept this completely in house because I don't think that it needed to go out. I don't need the I didn't need the I didn't feel the need to shame them. I would have felt the need to use it with my team and use it as motivation to either go harder at that pro day, go harder next year, because who knows what bulletin board material that Jackson State, Alcorn, Mississippi Valley State needed or is going to use. This is just extra fuel to the fire. So I can 100 percent get why he took note of it and even took it personally. I don't think this is anything to be mad that he was that he was irritated by. I just Darian, the mouth of the South, would not have went out and listed the, the names. I don't think it puts a, a a target on his back or anything like that. But personally, that's just not my style. That's just not my style to go out and just list the teams. Deion Sanders did it. I don't think he should be crucified for it. But I would like to know if you agree with it or not. Personally, I wouldn't have done it. Or you don't even have to say if you agree. Would you have done it or not? At South Exclusives on Twitter. Come let me know what you think about that. Going forward, we're going to be talk, we're going to be talking about Morehouse because they have named their official head coach, and it's the same guy that led them to a 21 season last year. Took the interim title off, make them official, and I think this is the right move. But before we get into that, I get to tell you about your favorite protein bar on the market. Built Bar, yes, that is your favorite. I know, I know, all right, because they have so many fantastic flavors, so many health benefits, and they just taste good. It's not often that you can find the taste good and you find the health benefits and they just cross and they just keep going, they just keep going, just keep going because they are the same. Because you have raspberry, my personal favorite, blueberry muffin, cookies and cream. Um, ruby chocolate. There are so many flavors to choose from. They're all delicious. They're all covered in chocolate, and they still have only four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Not to mention everybody's favorite, the Built Bar Puffs, covered in chocolate and a marshmallow, but still only four grams of sugar, only four grams of net carbs, and I'm still packing a ton of protein on top of it all. Point me in that direction. And that's built.com. And you got to use the promo code LOCKS15 because I want to save you a little money and get you 15% off your offer. All right, so we keep on rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day every day. And today's word of the day is reciprocate, meaning to do something for or to someone who has done something similar for or to you. And I want to talk about this because I think there is a little bit of reciprocation right here. And I want to talk about how Morehouse made the complete correct decision to strip the interim tag off of Douglas Whitler. Now. I think that Morehouse, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, right? But I think Morehouse made the correct decision when they settled on, on Douglas Whitler. And no, I don't want to say settle because I'm trying to be more cognizant of my words, be more aware. I'm trying to be more aware of them before I say them. But when I say them, I try to 
walk it back. I want to be deliberate and I don't want to say settle because I don't want to make it seem like they shot high and all right, well, Douglas was here and that's where they went. No, I honestly, I think after what happened in last season, it was an easy decision. I think it was the easy decision to say, yeah, we're going to run it back with Douglas Whitler and not on some, all right, you got another year to prove it again. I think they said, no, we're going to run it back and we're going to rock with you for a while because he's shown a, a lot of loyalty to Morehouse and we're going to talk about it because he's been with this program for 13 years and they've reciprocated it by giving him the shot as the interim head coach and he paid off or he took advantage of that reciprocation and now he is the official coach. I think this is completely the right decision. Let me get into why I believe that though. So if there was any reservations on if Douglas Whitler was the right coach or not, then I personally hope that he shut all of that down this year because he performed absolutely great. He had that team on fire in this season. They had their longest win streak in school history of 18 in this season. He only had two losses within the conference in this season, right? Cause I'm still naming everything. He's been here for one year in this season. They won the SEAC East in this season. They were a, a bucket away from being in the SEAC finals. And this was all done in his first season. Did I mention that they had 20 wins? I think that was pretty understood. We know they won 18 in a row. They were able to get it to 20. First year, first 20 win season. This is absolutely great. I think this was the right thing. So I, I believe that that right there personally should have put it to bed. And the only reason I think there might have been some questions, some reservations is, was he ready to be a head coach? See, before he was the interim coach, he was the associate um, or excuse me, he was the assistant head coach from 09 to 15. From 15 there on, he was the associate coach. And all of this was at Morehouse. So with this all being at Morehouse, he understood how these players are going to operate. And it was always under Grady, Grady Brewer and Grady Brewer passed away in the, in the summer. Then it led to the interim title. That's how we got here. Just so we can um, speak on that. But when Brewer was the coach, well, Whitley was right there through multiple 21 seasons. He was there when they were the number one seed, won 25 of their 28 available matchups, and were the number one seed in the D2 tournament. He's been there. He's been there through success. He's seen it. He's been a part of it. But now as a leader, you have to prove, hey, I'm more than just, well, somebody who can just be a part of the machine. I'm more than just a guy who is a witness. I'm more than just an associate head coach. Not everybody is. So I would 100% have understood the reservations on Whitler coming into this season. But at the same time, he proved himself. And that's what he needed to do. So when, when I say he's the right coach, it's not always about X's and O's. Because if you're a hard-nosed coach, your, your players might not receive that well. It's about gauging the temperature of the room and gauging the temperature of your roster. And with him being there since 2009, he knows how a Morehouse team operates. It provided a great blend of continuity, but then also a little splash of his own flavor. Because I know he wasn't just a brewer copycat. I highly doubt he was just a brewer copycat of, I'm going to do everything that Brewer did, the way Brewer did it. I don't, I don't believe that that works, personally. I don't, think you, I don't think you can come in and be a copycat of somebody and get the same results. 
because there's a reason that person is that way. It's an authenticity to it. And it doesn't just feel like you're trying to be somebody, even if that's close to what you are. If you're just trying to be somebody and he couldn't have been fake. He already had a rapport with these guys. He already understood these guys. So I think that that, that was just part of it. And he understood how the guys are going to react to certain things. He understood how to coach them. He understood, like I said, all about the Morehouse culture. And with Whitler, you have uh you have a um, how do I want to say it? You have a lot of continuity that stretches to this great era of Grady Brewer. But then you also have a guy that has proven that he's not just a cog in the machine. He's not just a person who can be a part of something great. He's somebody who can lead something great. It was the easy decision that, hey, this guy has led us to a 21 season in his first year as the coach. We are going to repay this. We are going to make sure that we tackle that or that we fill this void and make him the official head coach. No more interim. Let's make Douglas Whitler the official men's basketball head coach. And that was 100% the right decision. Now, going forward, we're going with our feature Friday. And it's major for me to highlight a woman's trail or a trailblazer in women's sports. I wanted to make sure I did that on this feature Friday. So let's get into that. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I tell you about Bet Online because it's NCAA season. And the closest game is UCLA versus North Carolina. In the in a, the farthest game, or at least the game that has the widest spread, which is at 15 and a half. And that's St. Petersburg. Like, man, this St. Petersburg and Purdue game, because I wanted to make sure I got the matchup, it's 12 and a half, right? While North Carolina and, and UCLA is at two points. So it's a wide margin between the lowest and the highest. But you can find all of that on Bet Online. That is official Bet Online spreads right there. But don't just stop at March Madness. Go to the NBA. Let's keep it in basketball today. Let's get into the NBA. I was listening to the radio today, and they were talking about the, the playoffs. It's only like 10 games away and who where these matchups could lie. I cannot wait to see what the odds are, what the player props are going to be, and all of those things that we have to get ready for when it comes to the playoff season. Who's going to be the first team to get a sweep? Let me know and then go put some money down on things of that nature when the matchups come out. You know where to go. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest. Way to wage on all of your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. Our next partner is somebody that I use on a daily basis, and that is Athletic Greens. And I first started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted to help my gut health. First off, you want to make sure that your body is a temple. You want to make sure that it's right. But then also, who wants to hear your stomach rumbling all day? Not you and not the person next to you. But then I fell in love with it because it provided me with a supplement that actually tasted good. I needed both of those things. Now, with one scoop of, of Athletic Greens, you're going to have 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, and then also you're going to have probiotics. I need those things. Now, when do I take it? I take it in the morning because it, it provides me with peace of mind that my body is going to work like a well-oiled machine through the rest of the day. That's when I personally like to take it, either right before or right after I eat, I eat breakfast. That's my schedule in it. Now, Athletic Greens have seven has 7,000 five-star reviews and then it's cheap it's three dollars a day so i mean it's well it's well um reviewed and then it also doesn't cost you that much i mean why wouldn't you get it right to make it easy athletic greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin d in five 
free travel packs of your, with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash college. Again, that's athletic degree, athleticgreens.com slash college to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, wrapping up today's episode of Locked On HBCU. I wanted to make sure that our feature Friday was right. It was proper because it's Women's History Month. And this is our last feature Friday that's going to fall within the month of March. Our next one will be on April Fool's Day. But I wanted to end it off. And, and that had to be with the right person. That is one of our women trailblazers. That's Althea Gibson, somebody who has persevered, somebody who has broke ground and created history in not one but two sports, an absolute phenomenal person. And I want to talk about Althea, and I want to start, let's go chronological. Let's just start from the top and keep going down because Gibson is more than an HBCU trailblazer. She went to an HBCU, but her scope and her impact is so large that just putting it on the HBCU would be taking away a large part of her career. So let me briefly touch on her HBCU heritage, her HBCU history. She went to FAMU, Florida A&M, right? And she graduated in 1953. She hated school or she was she she skipped school. She didn't like school as a youngin. Those things never shook. And it was one of those things that affected her in college where she was thinking multiple times, I might as well just drop out and join the army. Boy, are we glad that she didn't do that. But also that sticking through it and going through it, that speaks to the perseverance. That speaks on her ability to get through the mess and something that she, she spoke about before. But getting through that is something that she was going to have to do through her whole career because when she first got into tennis, she couldn't even play tennis on, on that level. She couldn't even play. And it took a, the number one player in the, in the country at the time to write about her in, in, I think, a magazine or some sort of article before they finally said, you know what? We do need to let this girl in. And man, when I tell you when Gibson got Gibson got in there, she was wreaking havoc. She was reaping absolute havoc in the International um, Tennis Hall of Fame's official website, labeled her or likened her to the Jackie Robinson of tennis. And I think it's so appropriate because she was the first black woman to be playing tennis on that level. They weren't allowed to at the time. And that was the beginning of a career that became a Hall of Fame career. And in that career, she had a phenomenal, I'll make sure I get these numbers correct. She was 53 and nine in the majors. That's in the, in the grand slams and all of that. She was 53 and nine in those games, right? She was the number one player in the country in 1957. That was probably her best stretch of tennis at the time. Oh, and then let me tell you about everything that she's accomplished. In the four Grand Slams, she has won in every single one of them. The only one that she didn't have a singles title in is the Australian Open. In every other one, in the French Open, the Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open, she has both a singles, at least one, singles championship, and then a doubles championship. And Wimbledon is by far her best, or not by far, because U.S. Open is right there too. But those two events were the best for her, and Wimbledon was her personal best as she won five championships in that in that um grand slam so she was absolutely dominant you saw her balling and through 1956 through 1958 
she appeared in 19 finals and won 11 titles in that three-year span. So she was showing up and showing out, shutting it down, and all of those other good things that you want to talk about. And when you look at it between 1956 and 1958, she won 11 titles, had 19 finals appearances. So when you look look at it, she was 11 and 8, had a winning record in finals. We always talk about like the Game 7s, the Super Bowls, the finals. Those are the type of things that really make or, you know, really make your legacy. And she was showing up and she was absolutely crushing it. Mind you, she was doing this in singles. She was doing this in doubles. And she was also doing this in mixed doubles. So I think that her versatility, her ability to do it in just by herself with another girl and then also with a guy, man, she was doing it on all different types of levels. But she says, you know what? I'm going to pivot and I'm going to go to golf. And in golf, she was the first black woman to play to play professionally there, too. And it's like. You ain't go through enough growing up, having your hardships and everything you want to go through and you want to say, all right, well, I'm going to be the first black woman to play professionally in tennis. And then when that wasn't enough, you're going to go and you're going to be the first black woman to play professionally in golf. And I just think that. Going through and doing that, it just speaks to the groundbreaking nature of her, because, man. It's not black tennis. It's not white tennis. It's tennis. And because that's where most of her impact was, more so than golf. But you introduced a whole new group of people to say, oh, I can do it on that level. Like now it's common. You see Serena winning everything, arguably the greatest of all time. You see Naomi Osaka out here winning. You see people like Coco Golf, Sloan Stevens. You see black girls represented on the tennis court. At that time, you didn't, and you especially didn't see him winning. See, after she won her last one, it was a 15-year gap until the next person of color actually won in, in, a, in a Grand Slam. And I think that she should be remembered for the perseverance that she had when she was at FAMU, saying, nah, I might go to the military and not doing it, and then showing that same perseverance to keep grinding, keep grinding, and getting through to the professional tennis level, to the professional golf level. She should be remembered for that perseverance, but then also remembered for being a groundbreaking historic athlete and not one, but two sports. That's a legacy that you should never forget. Althea Gibson, one of the legends in women's trailblazers in athletics. And stories like that, breakdowns like we had earlier from reactions and all the things they incorporated in this episode are reason that you have to continue making locked on hbcu your first listen of the day every day next week we'll be back on monday following it up with some of the great storylines from this weekend and for your second listen of the day make sure you're checking out locked on nfl draft with eric crocker and ryan tracy breaking everything down so you can be ready for the big for the big event in april and in the meantime, in between time, you can find me on that blue app, that bird. Yes, Twitter at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care. Stay blessed. Peace.